This week on Crime World... There was a Republican police from 1920. I mean, the IRA was effectively trying to run an underground government. And actually, there was a crime wave. 1919-1920, there's a wave of bank robberies, post office robberies, robberies of individuals, robberies of pubs in Dublin and in rural areas as well. So the IRA tried to actually clamp down on that. They, on occasion, solving bank robberies and giving the money back to the banks. Now, I'm Nicola Talent, and you can listen to my podcast, Crime World, wherever you get your podcasts. Shachtan, an Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Europe, the end of Chacht Erechor. Agasuligum, a Makan Shah, Gurfeder Echor, Inuik Kart, Len of Winterfein. Skilti, Fis, Turmi. Tashe Dochretche, Nach Vetoch, Ara, Igornamion, on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv, Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. If you like the Indo Daily, you can follow us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today on the Indo Daily, is Bertie Hearn bouncing back into politics? Until his questionable financial affairs dominated political conversation in the late noughties, Bertie Ahern, a three-term Taoiseach, looked unstoppable. My ultimate political aspiration remains the coming together of all the people of Ireland, achieved peacefully and by consent. I value deeply the close, close relationship. But in 2008, the so-called Teflon Taoiseach quickly became unstuck, resigning his position and then later in 2012, leaving Fianna Fáil in the wake of the findings of the Mahan Tribunal. It's a matter of real concern to me that the important work of government and party is now being overshadowed by issues relating to me at the Tribunal of Inquiry into certain planning matters and payments. I've never received a corrupt payment and I've never done anything to dishonour any office that I've ever held. I know that some people will His fall from grace was in stark contrast with the backslapping for his pivotal role in peace negotiations in Northern Ireland and the highs of the heady and indeed greedy days of the Celtic Tiger, which he presided over. And now we hear he may be making a return to the political arena again. I'm Siobhan Maguire, and in today's episode of the Indo Daily, we look back at the rise and fall of Bertie Hearn and ask if it's his time to rise again. Joining me are two Irish independent reporters, John Downing, political journalist and columnist, and Philip Ryan, political editor. For the first time, it was said by Deputy McCreevy this morning, since 1969, a government has been re-elected, and re-elected with an increased mandate, and I'm conscious that both for the Tonist and I, it's the first time since 1966 that uh, two people would uh, have the honour that we have today uh, of being re-elected. Now, folks, I know this is going to be a very balanced discussion because, John Downing, you're very much in the pro-Bertie corner. Indeed, you wrote a, a very nice book about him. Uh, while, Philip, you were in your 20s when the property crash occurred, so your feelings might be a little bit different. But can we park this for the moment and look back at Bertie Ahern and how we first got into politics? And, John, I'll, I'll go to you first. Uh, he started in 1977. He was he was an accountant, a junior accountant in in the Matter Hospital. He had been involved locally playing soccer. 
He had a, a great group of friends and they just had a go at it. And uh, he he was had been involved uh, in Fianna Foyle, had been on various committees. Fianna Foyle at that time were in opposition and they had lost the election in 1973. He was on various organising committees, very highly thought of, but he was thought to be something of a make-weight on, uh, on the ballot paper, a, a sweeper to bring in some votes. Uh, and uh, the, at the time, there was a thing called the Tullymander. There were a series of three-seat constituencies around Dublin. He surprised everybody, won a seat in Dublin, Finglas. And uh, he was very much a hahi acolyte at that time. And he did rise up the ranks quite quickly, Philip. I mean, we have that um, famous quote from from Charles Hahi that he he told uh, a group of journalists in October 1991. He's uh, the man, he's the best, the most devious and the most cunning of all. John Downing, there's probably a book title in that. Yeah, there might be. <laughs> uh, I think I did it. Yeah. <laughs> but Philip, he, he did really rise up the ranks, didn't he? He did. And, and at the time when, when he was eventually... Um, voted in as Taoiseach. He was the youngest Taoiseach the country ever had. Um, and prior to that, um, he held endless amount of um, departmental portfolios. He served under Charles Hottie. Uh, like you say from the quote, he was obviously very close to him. Hottie was uh, somewhat of a mentor to, to Bertie Ahern. He was deputy leader under Albert Reynolds uh, and and then went on, of course, to take over Fianna Fáil in opposition. And, and, and he led Fianna Fáil for 14 years. And, and for the vast majority of that, they were in power. In, in various governments under various guises and um, his, his, his success within Fianna Fáil has, has never been repeated. Yeah, a, a three-term Taoiseach, um, John Downing, was he the best, the most devious and the most cunning of all? He certainly was. Uh, he was not to be underestimated. He was very low-key in his approach to politics, said, very, uh, said uh, the, the minimum possible I mean, to interview him was an absolute nightmare because you'd be trying to get him to finish. You wound up finishing his sentences for him because he never really finished his sentence. If you listen to him nowadays, it's quite funny uh, because he's lucid, he's clear, he's coherent. But he had this kind of stuttering approach and people... Uh, I, I remember talking both both of them. There's no difficulty in saying this. Both sadly, both people are now dead. Seamus Brennan uh, believed it was a device, it, it, and he was right, as it turned out. But uh, a device, Joe, as Joe, in uh, you could sp slow down the pace of your exactly, of your speech. He yeah. was always equivocating. He was always rethinking. If I say, if I finish this sentence, where is that going to land me? Sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, Joe Walsh, another longtime minister in, in his cabinet, believed it couldn't be a device, that you just can't fake that, you know. Well, but, but it would be a, a useful device in that, like you say, it gives them time to think, but it also ensures that if there is a controversy of the day, if the, the TV channels can't get a yeah, decent yeah. quote to put you on the airwaves, Absolutely. Uh, that, that, that you're avoiding he, that tension as well. He stayed out of trouble and, and that was part of his strategy. There are only two or three times when he lost his cool, for example, in the Doyle Chamber. One, once was with Gay Mitchell. Isn't that true? Answer the question. Answer the question. Answer the question. Yeah. Nobody smokes green. Perhaps if you stop waffling. If you stop waffling, we might get some work done. They're a waffler. There have been years around here waffling. But there are 
hardly even a handful of times when he when he blew it, when he lost it. And so let's talk a little bit about his highlights as a Taoiseach. Um, and we can come back to to the various things that did land him in hot water later. Philip, what stands out for you? Well, look, he was, um, the peace process is the obvious one, the Good Friday Agreement. Good evening. A historic day at Stormont after two years of talks and after a generation of bloodshed and decades of division and acrimony, George Mitchell ushers in what the whole island hopes will be a new era of peace. An agreement that unites loyalist and republican, unionist and nationalist leaders in a wide-ranging history. And that's the reason why we're seeing a, a kind of renaissance um, of Bertie in recent years because uh, like his his ability to negotiate and get that over the line with others, with the likes of Tony Blair and the, the leaders in the north as well, obviously, um, shows that he he is a pragmatist at the bottom of all things, and he he is able to find solutions to, to very significant problems, which he did throughout his career. But like he did bring that to to this island. There's no more bombs going off. There's no more uh, sectarian killings. Well, the, the, largely uh, that that has ended. The other thing he brought was industrial peace. Uh, you know. Um, he was heavily involved. How he used him from the word go, his trade union background uh, allowed him, gave him great ability as a negotiator. And he was, he did a lot of the heavy lifting in the early national understandings, as they were called. Previously, there were, there was a, an employer union sort of uh, big picture wage agreement that was expanded to take in taxation, to take in welfare, things like that. It brought in the farmers, it brought in uh, uh, charitable organizations, social organizations of other kinds. It was expensive. It was very often uh, criticized. However, it stood the country in, in good stead in that it gave industrial stability. If you look back on the 70s, the 80s, previous decades, Big strikes, they don't happen much anymore. And in actual fact, the current government have gone back to that model for a wage agreement across the public sector, at least, to keep keep things going. Uh, and the other side of that, of course, John, is that it enabled him to give himself significant pay rises and other government ministers, because they were, as as is still the case, their, their salaries are linked. To, to public sector salaries yeah, and yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah. No, and that, that the, is undoubtedly and, true. And the, the, the politician's salary increased hugely over the, oh, the Bert, 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 Bert years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. In, including the Taoiseach salary, which at the time was, and still is, I believe, um, well, I'm not sure if it's the case at the moment, but it was like more, bigger paid than the likes of the President of the US, the, the Prime German Minister, Chancellor, Prime Minister, yeah. German yeah, Chancellor, yeah, and things like that. All these things yeah. are undoubtedly true, yeah. Fianna Fáil during the time of Bertie Ahern was a fascinating place. I mean, I was a, a cub reporter um, on the Northside people and I remember us getting an interview uh at St. Luke's with Bertie and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this this is this is the big one. This is gonna be great. And he treated me I felt like he would someone who had been in the the industry for for 20 odd years. He was very respectful, always made eye contact, really charming and nice to talk to. And he was so he really came across as a man of the people. Yeah, I I, I have to say I first met him. I was working for the Irish press in 1986. He was Lord Mayor of Dublin and I first met him and I found him, always found him charming. Uh, decent, likeable, kind. 
you know, and that those things count curiously when you're trying to, uh, you know, all right, we're trying to do a job. It should be harder, should be stronger, all that sort of thing. But when somebody, you know, nice gets a bad press, you know, what's so wrong with being nice? I was, I'd, um, in his later years, I suppose, when he was forced to step down as Taoiseach would uh, come and contact him with more, mostly when I'd call out to his home in um, in the north side, just off yeah. uh, Griffith Avenue there. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, like, again, yeah, I was going out there. He wasn't always happy to see me. I wasn't going out there to ask him, you know, his views on Brexit or things like oh, yeah. this. Like, yeah, it was yeah. mostly to do with like, why are you taking your pension or something like this or... You know, I'd say he loved uh, seeing you exactly, walk up the yeah. drive, so, Philip. But they would, like, he'd still come out to you because if you can imagine, it's a kind of a suburban house. You'd have the guard a hut outside it with a guard there positioned at all times. You'd go to the gate and you go, is, is he in? And the guard would go, oh, you're knocking the door there and see. And you are knocking the door and the former leader of the country for the previous decade or so would come wandering out with an anorak going, well, what do you want now? <laughs> and... But actually, you know, you've touched upon the scandals there and and let's uh, look at this a little bit because uh, we can talk about Bertie being, you know, so great uh, in his own constituency and, you know, being patted on the back by the locals, having his pint of bass in Fagans. And, you know, he was synonymous with the colloquial, if you think about it. His determinate ordinariness was was the thing that, uh, you know, it was was a a study in ordinariness. Yeah. Which we could all relate to, you yeah, know. But at the same time, he was down at the Galway races, uh, welcoming people into his into his fundraising tent as they jumped off helicopters. Do you know, big businessmen, big developers, big bankers, all these types were kind of swanning around him uh, and were part of his uh, inner circle or part of his the mystique around him. Was that as well? Like while he he did the ordinary man thing around Dublin Central and around Drumcondra, he was also rubbing shoulders and I don't know what else with uh, with, with well, uh, very I mean, very important, very rich people. I mean, you are right, Philip. So we you know we have we have Bertie and his home life is not so great. He's separating from Miriam, his wife. He has two daughters. Um, he's 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 on the up and up within Fianna Fáil. Um, and then you have Ireland comes into this crazy boom period with the Celtic Tiger. Um, according to Bertie, we all lost the runner for ourselves. We all got a bit too cocky. Anyone could walk into a, a, any institution and seem to get any amount of money. And, and this is where the cocky bit came in. Unfortunately, collectively as a country, uh, we, we started leveraging one off the next uh, so Joe Soap and Mary Soap, who never had a lot, um, got the loans for the second house and leveraged um, the third house on the second, the second house, house uh. and the fourth one and the third. <laughs> and, you know, what are you having yourself? And then you have the Mahan Tribunal. So it starts to unravel a little bit then, doesn't it? It was a terrible period in his life, I would say. Let's recall one important point. That interview with Brian Dobson, where he almost theatrically blubbed on television, happened in September 2006. The trouble was that um, in the separation, I agreed to provide uh, 20,000 for my children to an education account as part of the agreement that that I made. I don't like having to give these details to my children, but for completeness, um, and I did that. Uh, and I also um, had to pay off other bills. Um, so the money I'd saved was gone. 
So my friends knew that. Uh, I had no house, house was gone, so they decided to try and help me. Bertie Ahern and his colleagues were re-elected in May 2007. And by then, the vast bulk of, of the revelations about Bertie Ahern's extraordinary chaotic finances were a common knowledge, very well known. People still chose him. Like, okay, the, the Matin Tribunal wasn't set up to investigate Bertie Ahern. It was set up to investigate other um, politicians of Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael who were taking corrupt payments um, from property developers to build homes and houses and whatever else they wanted to build. And that was the way the country ran at that stage to a certain way. That was, um, it was kind of the unspoken thing. That's how you got things done in Ireland. You gave a councillor or some politician five grand and they go like, yeah, we'll box that off you and you can build build away. Now, Bertie eventually got dragged into that um, because um, there was questions around his finances and payments he was receiving in pubs, at dinners over in Manchester, um, and then other big massive payments he was claiming he was winning on horse racing bets. And now, the final outcome of the Matin Tribunal didn't say he was corrupt, but it did say the leader of our country for that 14-year period was lying to a, a, a statutory um, introduced um, commission about his own finances. He lied and they said that. And that, that was found that he was not telling the truth about how he got money and what he got the money for. And that is that was the, that was the end of him. And that's the thing, that's the thing I can't, um, really balance with this idea of let's bring Bertie back sure isn't he a lovely fella and he can say nice things about Brexit and and he can inform Michal Martin on, on what well, to it's do more than but, just I, but I nice guess things, but valid I, things I want to talk about Bertie post politics sports writer for the News of the World remember him in that closet never thought I'd end up here but I'd delay this on today's big match <laughs> Certainly, arguably, his most cringe-making of of a very long career. Yeah, don't Sitting. forget he showed up on the Premier League show as well to discuss the the That's Premier right. League results of the day one evening well, as well. I, mean, one I will say, in, <laughs> in mitigation, I will say that he is a lifelong sports fanatic and takes takes a, a great interest, has a very very deep knowledge of it and all that. Yeah. His writing for the, the news of the world, sitting in a cupboard, uh, you know, portrayed as sitting in a cupboard on television beside a jam jar and a half dozen eggs and a sauce bottle. I mean, really, you know, I mean, it was pretty lamentable. And let's not but, forget independence in Papua New Guinea. What is that all about? Well, you know, he he has, he, he was asked and he did it, you know, it's so... That's so his what? skill, though. Like That's, that is his skill. Like to go know, to mean, a situation bor- like that, borrowing and, yeah. from the from the uh, Good Friday Agreement, and sitting there, and his ability to to negotiate is something. It's it's unparalleled, and uh, you can never take that from him. You know, his ability to go down the middle of the road along the white line, taking from both sides and identifying potential for agreement. No, I doubt that. You know, I'm sure they were very glad to have him and I'd say he did great work. I believe he did great work. And he is. He's popping up on every uh, platform going. He'll he'd show up on he'd show up here now, probably if you gave him a call and talk about Brexit. But I thought there was a very noteworthy um example of of when he is asked about stuff from his past. Um he was speaking to a German uh, news channel 
um, some years ago, I think about five or six years ago, when they asked him to discuss about the Matin Tribunal and, and various issues around that, he just stood up and walked out in the interview. Like, he he wants it all on his own terms. He wants yeah. to talk about what he wants to talk about and doesn't want to talk about what other people oh, want to talk about. Life, life's like that sometimes, you know. <laughs> I mean, what else could we do for you today, Philip? You know, I mean, uh, I will listen to him. I listen to him on three things. I will listen to him in his read on politics because in the modern, modern era, it's unparalleled. He has won three general elections back to back. Uh, I will listen to him on Brexit and Northern Ireland because he knows it. I will listen to him about the European Union writ large because he is going to has been going to meetings. He lost in a couple of referendum on that, though, didn't he? He, he lost. Uh, yeah, he lost one. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but he won it back. <laughs> So we know from Micheál Martin recently uh, from that that doorstep in in a new pennies in Dublin um, that Bertie is being leaned upon for some advice. Is he going to come back? Is this a bid for the Aris? What do you think? I think they... Yeah, look, they, they, there's a view in Fianna Fáil against some of them, um, against, amongst a lot of them, that he is one of their own. And... You know, he did do, give the party a lot of success and he served his time out in uh, Serbia or um, whatever you want to call it, in exile. And let, let's have him back. Let's celebrate him, especially with the the, the, the forthcoming 25th anniversary of the, the Good Friday Agreement. And that would be the appropriate time to bring him back into the party. Whether he wants to come back, I don't know. Um, he hasn't, has he said that yet? Whether he, that, that's something on his mind. But would, as, as far as the presidential run go, I would think that would be madness because as we know, presidential elections here in this country um, have changed drastically over the last 10 years. And they become... Um, big fact-finding missions about the candidates and candidate everything is dragged up from their past. So Fianna Fáil would risk having an entire campaign yet again uh, rerunning all the details of the Matin Tribunal about Bertie Hearn and bringing them in, uh, bringing them all back into it. So I'd say that is very unlikely um, if he would be supported as a Fianna Fáil candidate. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. I mean, for uh, I interviewed, he recently turned 70 and he's enjoying life. And uh, he's enjoying uh, engagement with athletics. He has his allotment, a all love, these sorts of things. A lovely pension, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Yeah. But uh, whether he would want to, I'd, of course he would want to, because the vanity thing is there. But I, I tend to agree with Philip. Uh, Fianna Foil themselves know if they put him on the ticket, they, it, it just wouldn't work. And uh, it's right. He is, uh, Philip is also right. Uh, Presidential elections are where politics meet Dublin Zoo with, without the <laughs> yeah. charm. Yeah. They're very, it's they're very fun, insane, though. It's vicious yeah. carry-on. Yeah. I, I, I was on the inside of a presidential campaign. I, it's, it took years off my life, you know. So just finally, John and Philip, what, what is or will be Bertie's legacy? Well, look, it's twofold. Number one, it is the Good Friday Agreement. It is peace on uh, on the island of Ireland. Um, uh, but then parallel to that, I think, is always going to be hanging over him, that cloud about his finances and how um, how he treated money and where he got it from. I think history will be kinder. I think uh, certainly peace is the great gift uh, of Bertie O'Hearn's career. But also, I think he left us with a modern, prosperous 
outward-looking European view of life. And my thanks there to Philip Ryan, political editor at the Irish Independent, and John Downing, political journalist and columnist. I'm Siobhan McGuire, and today's episode of the Indo Daily was researched and produced by myself with sound by John Smith. Archive clips from RTE, the BBC, BBC Radio 4, the House of Commons, Sky News, News Talk, and independent.ie. If you enjoy the Indo Daily, don't forget to like, follow and leave us a review. 